Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. And I have to tell you, it's still really hot in Burbank. And it's not going to go down. And it's bothering me because it's October. Now, my birthday's at the end of October. And I was a Halloween baby growing up. And it was always the fall time back east. But here, it's just, I can't handle it. Because, you know, now is the time for, like, pumpkin bread, pumpkin beer, pumpkin Ebola, all the pumpkin good stuff. And it's not out there. And it's just driving me nuts. It's been so hot. And I did this joke the other night and it's so lame, but I have to say it. It's been so hot out. I saw a ghost in a half sheet. That's a lame joke, but you know what? It makes me laugh. So hopefully it will get it will get cooler because me and Joanne are going to see the Eagles play the Cardinals in Arizona, October 26th. And if it's as hot there as it is here, that's not going to be a fun football game. Anyway, enough about me. We have a we have a great guest today. I actually met him at the Robin Williams tribute at the Comedy Store, and he sat with us. and He uh, he knew my good friend Jeff Martyr, and I wanted to ask him to be on my show. and I had to wait till the next day to send him a message on Facebook because you don't ask someone at Memorial thing like that to be on the show. My guest is Mark Brazil. Hey, don't Mark. I'm good. How are you, Steve? Good, man. It's good to see you, man. It's good to see you too. Yeah, we met in a different circumstance. It was weird. A lot of people, and and uh, you know, how did you know, how do you know Jeff? Uh, I know Jeff from uh, the improv and the store. And that was the, the kind of lucky thing about uh, the time I did stand-up is I spent probably the first four years at the store. Okay. And uh, Mitzi just didn't like me. Um, and I just kept showcasing and finally thought, I really got to try the improv. And, See, you know, I switched over. At the time, you couldn't really do both. That was in the early 80s. And uh, so I was really lucky because Bud Friedman loved me and just gave me every improv eventually, you know. And at the time, they had like Mark Anderson and Bud had like 15 or 20 clubs. So I was really lucky that, you know, I, I've moved over there because he, he was great to me. Well, you're from upstate New York. We're talking yeah. about you're from the Buffalo area. Buffalo. Now, are you a big sports fan? Huge. Okay, yeah. So Bills, are you... I love the Bills, but, you know, it's just such a thankless job. Because, uh, you know, when they go four years in a row, nobody really cares that they went four years in a row, but they don't take into consideration how many wins that is and how hard that was to do. It'll never happen. Nobody's ever going to go four times in a row. The parody is uh, just things change so much. So I love Buffalo. I always love Buffalo no matter what happens i have to love buffalo see i'm like that with the eagles and i'll be honest yeah. the eagles did well i always say like people go well i always hated andy reed just towards the end i just because he couldn't get into the big game and people were like you know well you know they got into four championships but i'm like yeah but we got in the one super bowl and we didn't win so it's just, it's very frustrating and people i always compare it to let's say if you're a salesperson and you have four big presentations and you don't nail any of them you're usually getting fired and yeah. that's the thing. I, I, but in football, I mean, for what the Bills did, because that was such a good team, too. I mean, you guys yeah. had, you know, you had uh, Reed at receiver, and you had Thurman Thomas, and you had uh, well, Kelly. Well, they're, all, they're just, all in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. You know, so they were a spectacular team. And, and, I mean, so many of them are in the Hall of Fame. And I think Steve Tasker was probably the greatest special teams guy in the history of the game. He kind of was the definition of it. I liked him, and I like Brian Mitchell. Yeah. Who was one of those guys right. who will never get in the Hall of Fame. Right. But, but then you look and you see for, like, if you get total yards ever, like he's like number three, but I mean, like Rice and Peyton, but people never take him serious, and that's right. you know because of returners. Yeah, it's weird. It's like Devin Hester never gets respect in fantasy, which I always find strange because he he can't actually really help you. And I don't know if you 
if you love or hate fantasy football. I play it. I play. I play it an auto league. I just do it for fun. I don't, and I get an auto draft, and I. I'm one of those people, I always do well, and it's just, I sit there and, like, I, I play fantasy baseball, but you get distracted. It's too much switching and oh, stuff like that. So, it's so hard. Yeah. It's like a Football, job. you look at it, you go, okay. But I've been making bad choices. And now, my one team's three, my one team, I lost last night. I was 4-0, oh, I'm 4-1, and one, and I'm 3-2. and two. But I made bad choices. Like, when the Eagles played the Redskins, I said, I'm not going to start Deshaun. And then Deshaun Jackson puts it up. And then two weeks ago, I had the... Uh, I did the auto draft. My quarterbacks were Cam Newton and the guy from Tampa Bay. I ran, Mike Glennon. No, before him, the guy who was oh, okay, uh, okay, okay. McNown yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So I got rid of him, and I pick up Eli Manning. And I hate the Giants. I'm a diehard oh, Eagles yeah. fan. I can't, I can't believe you would do that. I, you know, it's a matter of it's like I, he's my backup. I, I, I still won't have Dallas see, that's players. Funny. I won't. Are you I Dallas? Won't, okay, see, I won't I, pick up Dallas players. I knew I liked you because I hate Dallas too. Oh. I got to tell you, you want to hear something crazy? My my one of my old roommate, who's a good friend of mine, lives around the corner, is a huge Eagles fan, and he's from uh, he's from um, Scranton, Pennsylvania, and his fiance is a Cowboys fan. And I said, I don't know how you I do it. I couldn't marry. I couldn't. Yeah. No. The other day, he shows up to watch the game because the Eagles were on. And he goes, Oh, thank God, you're down here. He goes, He goes, <laughs> Kristen's watching the. She's watching the game, and he goes. I can now I can cheer when the Texans score so I don't get bitched at. <laughs> no, so you're a big fantasy guy? Uh, oh, yeah. Big fantasy football player? Um, yeah, I love it. I uh, I don't know that my team's – well, it's three and two also. Um, Zach Ertz is killing me, though, because I expected him to – you know, I picked Julius Thomas last year, which you couldn't do this year because he went in the, like, right. the second round. Um, I mean, you could have, but Jimmy Graham and, you know, Julius Thomas are the – I thought Zach Ertz is going to be the next, and he's not. Well, how about you know? if, you, if you pick McCoy, which people pick? He's been doing nothing. I mean, I know people are going crazy. Some leagues, he was the first pick. And, that's and he's that's terrible. Done, I mean, I love the Eagles, and I'm, I'm saying, like, last week, I'm like, bench the guy for at least a quarter or two because it's just not working. Yeah, it's strange. It doesn't make sense. You now, know, the, uh, uh, and Riley Cooper's another guy who, you know, you just can't. Last year was great, but he's not doing. But Macklin's blowing up, so it's just, yeah. you know, it's crazy. He spreads it. So now, yeah. you grew up in Buffalo. Were you a baseball fan? Because, I mean, who did you yeah, like? Yeah, I like the Pirates, Okay, you know, but um, I also like the Dodgers. And uh, I guess maybe the Brooklyn thing or Jackie Robinson or whatever. But, you know, I moved out here in 1980. And so I, I actually lived in San Diego, but for some reason the Padres just never uh, – the Dodgers just seem to have so much more – legacy and history and you know that they were from brooklyn i just took to the dodgers and so uh through the piazza years you know isn't piazza from philly piazza from yeah king of prussia actually his uh his godfather is tommy lasorda that uh, yeah and piazza i guess grew up with a really rich family and his father had like batting cages at the house and stuff like this and then him and lasorda were friends because lasorda's from the philly area i believe or has connections and uh yeah piazza was a great player i mean he's one of those guys you know no one really drafted. No one took serious. And he was like one of the first mostly offensive and no defense catcher, which doesn't happen a lot. No, I drafted him too. Okay. That was probably how I won my baseball okay. league, you know, was because <laughs> I drafted Piazza because I was just like, uh, his story was too good not to break. Right. And so, uh, and I remember I met Tommy Lasorda at uh, Dennis Miller because I wrote for the first Dennis Miller show on WGN. And uh, he brought his wife with him. He couldn't have been a nicer guy. Tommy Lasorda is great. Everybody loves Tommy. Well, you have to. He gave me a ball, and he signed it. it. That was actually great. The Miller Show was great in that 
Pete Rose came on, Ernie Banks came on. I mean, we could actually put in for people we wanted, and they would book them. Because the show, you know, I don't know if you remember it. Not many it was, people It do. was the one who it was, was a talk show. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Yeah, and uh, it was great. I asked for uh, Cesar Chavez. They booked him. And uh, Dennis said, Cesar, why don't you ever do shows? He goes, nobody ever asked. Oh, that's funny. Because I'm doing that right now. I've been going back with Boom Boom Mancini. I found him on Facebook. And just, I didn't think he was on Facebook. Someone posted it. So I sent him a message. And I remember, I still remember when I was doing stand-up, there was a place near Philly called the Coliseum. It's where the Flyers practiced. And they had a sports bar called Shooters. Mm. And they used to do comedy there. But I also, I went to see him fight Camacho. And it was, this is God in 18, 1989. And it's so funny, I still remember Mancini. And when I saw this thing, I sent him a message and he sends me a message back and he goes, yeah, let's set this up, call me. And I'm sitting there on Sunday night going, holy crap, I'm, I'm calling Boom Boom Mancini. And it's like, us when, when you grow up as a sports kid, you know, when you meet these people, I mean, if I met, if Mike Schmidt said he's going to do my show, I'd be like, oh my God, you know, it's, it's a thing. Like for you, it must be great because you could reach out and get these people. Yeah, they would come, uh, Danny Tartable did the show. At the time, he was the highest play, paid player in baseball. Um, yeah, it was great. Cesar Chavez, Jerry Brown. I mean, not to put them in the same category, but uh, Al Gore did the show. You know, uh, it was it was kind of neat to just put in people hoping. I wanted Kurt Vonnegut. He doesn't show up for okay. that stuff. He's, I don't know why, he's, he, he's a guy who never did anything, you know. Um, but, yeah, it was kind of neat. Susan Faludi came on. She was a girl I wanted to... Uh, at the time she'd written Backlash which was a huge uh, do you remember Backlash it was just yeah. about the fun- yeah um, so yeah that show was you know it was a lot of fun and Dennis was a liberal at the time so it was a lot easier for me to write you know? it's, it's weird because I always say it's like he's changed I mean it was just so weird how he was I remember he was so liberal and now he's so conservative yeah. and even I mean with Bill Maher when he was in a politically incorrect he was a very libertarian and then now he's hardcore it's just funny how i don't know if they swing because the ratings or i don't know if it's Follow just something the money yeah i mean that's what's funny because you sit there and you go wait a second i mean dennis miller was hardcore liberal back then yeah but i still i think mar had it coming when they fired him you don't you don't call guys who are in the service cowards right you know i mean i'm sorry that's just yeah i don't care if you you know serve mashed potatoes you can't call somebody in the service a cop. no not at all yeah. so I gotta ask you you're a big sports fan huge and now yeah. as a kid now, now at what point did you decide you wanted to do comedy or get into the profession because I mean when I was a kid oh. I wanted to be a sports announcer did you ever want to be a sports announcer no I wanted to play okay. I wanted to play basketball really badly but I had a group of friends who smoked weed and said that was for jocks okay and I uh, you know was a victim of that peer pressure which was stupid but I played basketball for quite a while um, I played baseball as a shortstop, you know, and uh, but basketball was always that game that I loved the most. Playing football is a game I love to watch, you know. But I don't watch college. I didn't go to college, you know. I just went straight from New York at uh, eighteen. I was eight, either eighteen or nineteen, and that that was sometime in nineteen eighty. I just moved here to San Diego. Did you and move to? Pursue? I, I didn't know what I was going to do, but I knew I was going to do something without having snow up to my ass. Right. You know, because I was just done with that after 18 years. And in the 70s, the weather through throughout the 70s in Buffalo was so brutal. Oh, God. I remember Well, my brother, when he met his wife, that was like in 1979 or 80. I remember when they'd sit there and he would drive from New York City because they both went to FIT in Manhattan. And they would drive out 
know, and he would just say, your car would just, you just get stranded. Like, there'd be such heavy, yeah, heavy snow. You just, like, you have no choice. You have to pull over and just run the heat because you can't drive anywhere. Yeah, no no snow tires, no nothing. It's just, it it was just relentless. And so I thought, ah, San Diego looks good. And I was lucky that it was San Diego because there was, uh, you know, a comedy store there and then an improv opened. So, um, you know, I, w- I was able to go and do that. I never knew I wanted to do that until I started showing up. I, I always loved comedy. I would watch Myron Cohen and Richard Pryor and Robin Williams on HBO in the 70s when HBO would run the same show like 15 times in a week. I was saying that I watched Love and Death probably every time it was on. So I guess I always loved comedy, but I didn't really realize that I had it within me to do it. So, um, but it took, a, you know, it took a long time to get, uh, it probably took me two years to get good enough to get paid. So, yeah, well, it's so funny because I remember, because I lived in San Diego for a while, but this is yeah. three years ago. So I lived in the gas lamp before it was building up. This right. is probably 20 years. No, not 20, no, whatever. But so you started going to the clubs. Yeah, I started going to the store. And, then, and I got, and I can remember I was selling cars. I sold cars for a few years, you know, and uh, and then, you know, there was like a late deal at the dealership, and the guy's like, I said I got a spot at the store at like nine o'clock, and I and he goes, look, man, that's that's a hobby. I don't care about your hobby. You you can't do this and that. You can't serve two masters, and you know he's right. So I, I just quit. And I thought, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I'm going to do it. Because I had done enough open mics that I thought, I, I can't sell cars. This is just not in me to sell cars. And uh, I was really successful at the car thing, and it paid me like 50 grand a year in 1982. Right. I was 20. It's huge money, you know? So, and I had bought some used cars that I would fix up and sell on the side. And so I got an uh, apartment with Jay Reisman. Okay, which is who's your friend from I Cherry Hill? From, yeah, I remember him from. In fact, we just connected on Facebook after a while because he even because I was going back and forth before my girlfriend moved out here, and I got out of business, but comedy. But I still would do spots back there, and he's like, "Hey, yeah. you know, you know, connections." And I was like, "Cause I don't know if he got out of business." I was like, "Sure," but I remember working a gig with him at, at State College for Andy Scarpati, a place called Champs. And it was uh, out there. I worked for Andy Scarpetti. Okay, so you know, yeah. yeah. And it was, uh, and he's still in the business, Andy. Yeah, Andy booked uh, UCSD or USD for a while. Oh, out here? I believe he did, okay. yeah. I think he was out here for some reason. But yeah, I've been booked by Andy Scarpetti at a college before. So you you live with Reisman? Yeah, Reisman and I lived. He actually moved in with me because I had this two-bedroom apartment in North Park for 300 bucks a month, wow. which was unheard of. And it was a Spanish from the early you know 20s probably and um 300 a month man so there was actually four comics living there at various times because we all would go on the road uh and so for like that first year i was subsidized by the cars i would sell them off piecemeal and try to live you know making 300 a a week checking ids and working the door but the great thing was working the door there I got to see Kennison as an open micer okay. who people hated. And then the Rodney special came on, and two months later, he's worshipped. And the power of HBO and television was amazing back then. You know, uh, Was Fred Burns there at the time, running it? Fred was there, but he wasn't running it. Okay. Kelly Grant was running it. And uh, 
that's where I met Robin was actually the anniversary of the comedy store. Letterman was supposed to come, but he didn't. You know, Letterman's another guy who doesn't like to show up. He he's <laughs> his talk show is his talk show, but he doesn't. Um, but so he didn't show up. But Robin was there. Everybody, was, a lot of big names were there for the anniversary of the comedy store in La Jolla, and uh, so. Um, yeah, that's where I met Robin. And he gave, he wrote on a piece of paper. He signed a piece of paper for me. He wrote on it, "Beware the known." And I thought there was so much pressure. There's always so much pressure on Robin to be brilliant every single second, you know. Um, but yeah, so that was weird to watch Robin go on and just kill, and then Sam had to follow him, and Sam wasn't famous yet, and they hated him, and we got in a huge fight with four drunk kids from. UCSD. Okay. And I have to I have to back Sam up. And Willie Parsons was there, who's huge, big biker Willie. And so we, we got in a huge fist fight. And my sister was there and she's like eight months pregnant with my uh, niece, who's now becoming a doctor. Right. And uh, it was just astonishing, you know, because Sam had a guy literally in a headlock and he's punching him full on in the face as another guy tries to choke him. And I try to get that guy off Sam. So it was a fight. It was a good big fight. Tables, glasses, smashing things. Sam didn't forget that ever. Okay. All the door guys there that fought with him that night, oh, man, he, he'd just take you out for dinner. He would tip you. I mean, he was, uh, when we went to Denny's, he gave the waitress 100 bucks. It was, it was like he was such a, you know, rat pack cool guy. I right. always loved Sam, because I just thought he was the coolest guy. Well, I know Alan Stevens has been on the show and had great, great stories about yeah. Sam. And just you know, you sit there and it just—it's just a different. You don't see that anymore. Like the, the, it no. was like it was sort of like the rock pack mentality. It was like this mentality. It was your entertainers. You're on the same team. You know, that's the thing. You're you guys are comrades. You support you're not, each other. You're not, yeah, you're not enemies. Because now a lot of kids now they're, they're just they have that. It's all about them. You know, well, there it's a it's a very selfish kind yeah. of thing that's happened to us. Uh, I would hate to be in the selfie generation, right? You know, <laughs> um, I was think I think I'm a a cusp baby uh, between X and Boom, so and I I actually do kind of straddle both lines there. So um, because I have cultural references from both that I actually get, but yeah, it's a. Uh, uh, I don't know. It's weird. And I saw it happening when I was leaving the business. I saw people with a good five minutes, and they would be given these overall deals, and they're gone now. Yeah, that's Because what Roseanne, it took Roseanne forever to get that act. I mean, forever being, you know, at least three or four, you know, performing, writing, getting it together so that when it happened, you had something to back she was it ready. up with. She was prepared. She was absolutely ready. And that was the other great thing about the Young Comedian Special. When you have a Young Comedian Special, it's Roseanne Barr, Louis Anderson, Sam Kennison, Jerry Seinfeld. You go, oh, holy shit. Right. Yeah, they were so ready. But now you couldn't do a Young Comedian Special. No, it's so know? funny. I think about that because that's the one thing. I remember when Dice was in the Young Comedian Special, I remember I opened for him in Philly I, I used to do a nerd character, so Steve mm. the Stud. So Clay Heary, who owned the club, thought it'd be the perfect contrast. And Dice had a following, but he hadn't done this HBO thing. So he was playing the comedy club special night at the Comedy Factory outlet. That show 
the HBO special comes on, the Young Comedians, and boom, now he's playing the theater of TLA in Philly. I mean, it just it was amazing how those specials back then would just because you knew you. it was like the five yeah. five great comics. You go, okay, you know, yeah. that was the thing. Carson could make you or. HBO could make you. So you did stand up. You were doing stand up. What brought you to LA? When because you were doing stand up in San Diego for a while. Was it just the natural gravitation? No, I signed with Bernie Brillstein as a comic or as a writer or as a comic. Okay, you know Bernie. Well, Brad Gray, Bernie Brillstein, Ray Rio is the guy who signed me, and everybody really big was there. You know, Adam Sandler was there, Spade and Schneider were there, and that was really nice because you know Spade and Schneider told. Ray Rio, you should see him, you know. And Ray saw me at the improv on Melrose and he like literally signed me. Well, I remember you know? seeing you. I remember seeing your act on like the A list or one of those shows, all those shows, because yeah. we would always watch them. And I, that was when I was starting out. And yeah, I remember you. I remember you because when I saw your name down the road, I said, uh, Oh, I remember the guy. I mean, when I remember you doing stand up. Yeah, Fred Wolf right. uh, is another guy who kind of, you know, morphed into another. He's a director now. And, you know, Paul Feig was a stand-up who's a director now it's like i went into writing because the writing jobs were there you know so um i think 1991 was the last time i did stand-up and i did it with uh sandra bernhardt on the a-list okay and i knew that was it i knew i wouldn't be going back because the money was just so much better as a writer and uh you know my son who's now 21 was had just been born and i was I just you have to provide. You so know. so you got out of stand up. Now, what was your first writing job? Did you get it easily? I mean, what, what, as you were doing stand up and you knew you were going to do this transition, did you sit there and did you start writing spec scripts or did your management say, "Hey Mark, we think you should do this. There's a writing opportunity." Well, How did you trans It happened really fast. It, I was at the Improv in Cleveland and um Sarah uh booked that club and was the manager. She wanted an opening act for Dennis Miller on a Monday. I was supposed to fly to Chicago to do Walter Gertz's improv. Uh, and they and she said, I don't want a local guy. I want you to stay over and open for him. Because, uh, I, well, but it's like 150 bucks to change my plane ticket. They didn't want to pay it. I said, well, I'll pay it, you know, because I just wanted to stay in, and I, I wanted to see him, right. you know. Because I knew we had enough in common that I thought, it would be good if he saw me. And so, because um, he had just left Saturday Night Live the weekend before. So he's at the Improv in Cleveland. Sarah get, talks them into buying the ticket for me. I open for him for two shows. He, we're hanging out in the green room afterwards. He said, you know, I don't do material about any things you do material about, but if I did, I'd do the jokes you do. He said, if I get my own show, will you write for me? I said, of course, you know. Um, he got his own show. That, he, that was the that was the first gig was uh, writing for WGN out of Chicago. Sponsored that show. That show, the writing staff on that show was unbelievable. It was all ex stand ups. It was um, Kevin Rooney, uh, Drake Sather, Nick Bakai, uh, Greg Greenberg, Stephen Leo. Benvenuti and Rednick, John Regi. I don't want to forget anybody. Was Cesario on that? Barry Crimmins. Was Cesario on that or was he on the next? He was on the next one. Okay. But uh, that first one was, oh, and Conan Munchnik, who created Will and Grace. You know, and uh, in fact, everybody on that show did did fairly well. 
Drake, you know, died. Uh, But he wrote Zoolander, which is what I always felt started the that kind of offshoot. Right. That really sort of hip, you know, and uh, you know, Zoolander is now a huge. They want to make a second one. It became this cultural phenom. It's like, and it was one of those movies that was. Yeah, exactly it had to be hip like it was yeah. one of those things that was different and it was okay to look stupid and be hip like the, yeah. the character and that, that opened up a whole genre of movies it did you know and that was Drake um, so you wrote for Miller WG, yeah I wrote then, for Miller and then I got in Living Color okay so you which, went was, Miller was cancelled so Miller got cancelled okay. actually it didn't get cancelled he quit okay people don't don't know that but he, he quit he didn't want to do it anymore because uh, he didn't like the ratings but WGN was really willing to back him up. You know, they were willing to go to the mat for him, but he didn't, he didn't want to do it anymore. Um, so then uh, In Living Color was next, which was great, because, uh, you know, Jim it, Carrey well, was it, there. It's funny when that came out, because it was so different. I mean, oh, I was on the last year, not the okay. first year. I, w- I wish I had been there, because I knew Damon from the comedy store. Okay. We were friends. I mean, we played basketball when he would be down there. and. Uh, but Damon and Keen had left, and this was when Fox was just trying to hang on to the property. And I think what really happened, the reason they got rid of it, you know, Jimmy Fox was there. I mean, that, that show had a lot of really good people on right. it. It could have gone on forever. But I think they switched Jim Carrey's deal because they had him for another year, and he blew up. You know, uh, Dumb and Dumber and uh, Pet Detective came out. And he was huge. And I think they switched that deal over to features because they thought, eh, in living colors on its last leg. Right. You know, so, but that was good. It was just good to go from writing jokes to writing sketch and then a sitcom, which came next, which was Third Rock from the Sun. Which was, that was a great show. I mean, that was Lithgow. It's just, I mean, John Lithgow was so amazing. Like, you see him in that role and you see him as a like when you saw him in Dexter I don't know if you watched Dexter but that season mm-hmm. he was he was amazing but then you sit there and you flip and you see him on even like in the world according to Garp the guy's just he can play anything and he can do and anything Third Rock was just different I mean it's something that but him you know that John Lithgow saying looking at himself and saying dear God I'm gorgeous right you know it's hysterical so yes know? so how did that how did that come about from you going from Living Color to I, Third Rock that was another thing you know your life comes down to these moments that you don't really realize are moments until much later I was at a birthday party for Robin Bakai who is Nick Bakai's who is Nick Bakai's wife and the Turners were there Bonnie and Terry Turner and there was a nun puppet. And I had been raised Catholic and went to Catholic school. I picked up the nun puppet. I said a lot of really inappropriate things for like 20 minutes that had the Turners laughing. Not everybody was laughing. Right. But they said, who, who is that? You know, they were like, I just happened to be sitting next to them, you know. And so that was it. That night, because I made them laugh, they were like, we just want to work with him. We think that he's – and they hired me for – in living color when i watched the pilot jane um you know curtain. Uh, jane curtain hadn't uh, been cast yet uh, but what i watched i saw was it i thought it could be huge you know so um you know yeah i just took any sort of a, a gig on that show i don't even remember what they hired me as um and then i created a show of my own that i had to like leave 
I had to leave Third Rock for a year to do Mr. Rhodes with Tom Rhodes. Okay, Tom's been on the show. So yeah, Tom's great. Guy. Now wait, so how you were on for Third Rock for how long before you left? I was there probably for a year and a season. I left for a year and I came right back. Okay, so, now, so they came to you and they said to create the show. Did they pair you up with Tom? Is that how you did the Rhodes show? Or I knew Tom and Dave Becky knew both of us, and that's kind of how that deal got put together. Michael Rotenberg. Uh, you know, I think Tom and I were both at Three Arts at the time. And you know how everything is, uh, you know, if you're lucky, it's it's relationships and who you're with. And uh, so that's how, that's how they paired me with Tom. But the weird thing about Tom, I had written for Tom a public defender show. And at, the, at literally the 11th hour, they go, let's make it a teacher show. Okay. And that's what happened. Warren Littlefield wanted a teacher show. Obviously... You know, there were a lot of teacher shows that year. Warren's a very successful guy. You, you do what, what Warren says. He's president of NBC. So we write the teacher show. Um, and I never felt it was the best use of Tom because Tom's an iconoclast. He's, the, he's you know, he's more Bukowski than, right. you know. So, uh, but you know, but how is that? He and I went along with it, and but how is that for you for creating a show? Because it's like you'd you'd written for Dennis, and then you go to sketch, then you go to a sitcom. You're there for a year. I mean, were you nervous at all? Because it's like that's no, a big I really, thing. I really wasn't. Okay, it was it was kind of it does seem meteoric now, um, but I I don't know. You know, the funny thing was I would get nervous before performances, but I never got nervous going in and pitching something with four people. You know, I played Hofstra, uh, the half-hour comedy hour. There's like 7,000 people in there. So four people in a pitch meeting? Right. That's you know what I mean? It's like it, it became very – it's it's interesting, though, because as a producer, as an exec producer, had I known as a, a comic and an actor when I was going on auditions what I knew as a producer watching people, I would have realized, oh, my God, it's never personal. The producer has a thing in his head that he's looking for, and you can knock it out of the park. But if you're not it, you're not going to get it. Right. And uh, and now I know that when I go to a network, no matter how great the idea is or how well I sell it, I I think if it's not what they want, it doesn't matter. It's and it's not personal. It's just we're looking for this, and especially now in the age of branding, branding, branding. You know. Um, so yeah, it's it was um, it was really not nerve wracking to go from stand up to just writing. The writing jobs always came easy. Well, and, you know, after the after the uh, Tom Rhodes show got canceled, Third Rocks had come back. I mean, it was no big deal. I mean, does that is that they, normal in the business? Or? No, not really. But the Turners really wanted me there, and the Turners guided me through the whole thing because I said I really don't want to do this. I didn't want to leave a hit show to do a pilot um by the time they asked me to uh and this was just the turners themselves saying we want to do a show with you uh third rock had been on the air long enough that i thought this is not a bad idea you know they're willing to stand by me um and we created 70s you know and that was that was it now know? the 70s show is now I, I is that based on your town is that yeah okay so i mean when you're sitting there and writing it i mean now the people when people read that do people probably say to you hey is that guy based on me i mean is it based on actual friends or just it's a, a mixture it's, it's a mixture of people but um 
the people, uh, you know, it's funny because everybody in Dunkirk and Fredonia, which is a small town outside of Buffalo, will say, that's, that's, I know exactly who that is. They couldn't be more wrong, you know, because I also (laughs) went to two high schools there. I got kicked out of one. I got sent to the other one. The one high school was a real, really white bread. Just, it it just, the other, and the other one was completely urban, you know? So it was a very different experience, but it's, it's just like the improv and the comedy store. It's, it's like you have two completely separate towns and everybody in that town who went to that high school during those years knows who you are, you know? And so, but they all think it's people that they know and they're wrong. Okay. Almost 99% of the time they're wrong. That's funny. Because yeah, you know, I, I know the type of person too. It's like, yeah, man. They can see me. the guy at the bar going, hey, yeah, I remember that guy. He went to the school. Well, he, knows, he knows me. You know, it's like that's the story. People are you know, you're person like, oh, that's based on me. And you're like, no, it's not. Everybody thinks they're Ashton. Right. You know? <laughs> and it's like, no, you, you weren't. <laughs> you weren't Kelso. Although Kelso was named after a bill. Okay. You know? So, so when you when you do the show, uh, how were the ratings the first season? I mean, and what did the, the what did ra- you think? Did you think it was going to be popular, or did no. you think? I thought it was going to be an indie film. Okay, and I kind of approached it like that, thinking I'll have something really nice that represents what I kind of would like to do. That's all I thought about the pilot, and I said uh, I, the Turners and I even talked about putting it in uh, film festivals after the fact if it doesn't go, but but. That was early on because Peter Roth, who was at Warner Brothers, was like, no, this is, he bought 13 of them. Once he saw it, he was, he just, we were, we were filming them forever before we went on the air. And then when we did finally go on the air, we were championed and put between the Simpsons and the X-Files. And that was huge. Yeah. And they you were know, you could so not, giant. Yeah. They were both giant hits. And we didn't do great, although we didn't do poorly, and uh, had huge, huge numbers in there. And, and uh, but the funny thing was, the more they moved it, the better it got, which never happens. But for some reason, the show built. Um, Why do you think that is? Just I, I think because if you were forty, you saw your high school experience. If you were a teenager, you saw kids your age, and. Uh, if you were an adult, you saw Red and Kitty, you know? I mean, adult being someone with children. Right. You know, so I think that it, the sweet spot of that demographic has, has never been hit. You know, it's, it ha- it's rare to hit that sweet spot. And the other thing that, that saved that show was it already looked like a rerun. And it was in a very safe time in America's history. So 9-11 didn't affect it. And 9-11 affected almost everything. Right. But it didn't affect that show because uh, we, we didn't have to deal with 9-11. The 70s were a time, uh, so semi-idyllic time. Yeah, it's so you know? funny because I think about that because I was, I was born in 63. And so it was like, you know, like my, my brother was a senior in high school in 79 and I was a freshman. And it was, you know, it was just a different time. And it was just, even like when I went to college in the early 80s, it was just, I look at it now and we, we do things that were so, so much worse than these people now. Oh, but, I know. But we did them, but we never like, we broke laws, but not like moral laws. Like we broke laws of like 
getting reckless, out and drinking, yeah, recklessness, reckless stupidity. But, but we we always respected women. We respected our elders, and and you don't see that now. I mean, we would. I mean, we would just go drink and have fun but then if you saw someone's parents you would always be like oh how are you doing and we called everyone mr and mrs and oh, that was course. a time where it was it was like a mannered it was a mannered rebellion yeah mannered anarchy it was uh, a- you know animal house so now what's you- the worst thing that happened in animal house yeah you know what I mean? exactly that's like us i mean i think we got uh, we all drank in high school we all i think maybe one i don't think anyone got a dui no one no no well, one drank and drove no one no one took yeah, advantage cop, of girls. Cops were a little different back right. then. Too. They would, yeah, they would be like, just sleep it off, you know, just pull over and sleep it off. Yeah, I was a designated driver one time with my manager from the dealership, and the manager was so belligerent and drunk. I thought, well, we're just going to go to jail because he's yelling at the cop as I'm driving, and the cop's like, "Where are you going?" I said, "I swear to God, I'm going to Pacific Beach. I'm two blocks away." He goes, "I'm going to drive you there." He drove me there. He didn't give me a breathalyzer. I, I wasn't drinking and driving anyways, but he could have. Right. Because this guy was so loud. Um, and I don't know that those things happen nowadays. I don't know. Maybe they do, but, you know. Maybe I in mean, small towns, but not big. I mean, it's, That's it's, it, too, yeah. Like, your your existence in, a, in that kind of, I, I think it's still probably pretty great. Yeah. But, yeah, the world is a little meaner now. It's oh, uglier. Yeah. So so now when you when the show started now did you have anything with do with anything with the casting or did oh, you yeah. uh, no, so now how did you pick like did you know in in retrospect did you sit there and go Ashton Kutcher's become a huge Ashton, star and Mila absolutely did you, we how, knew when Ashton was there Ashton walked in it's funny because I was in the room with Bonnie Turner and um, Marcy Carsey who loved Ashton because he was you know a Calvin Klein model right but I don't know that I even knew that. But he was spectacular. Like, and I thought, this is the only guy who can do this. He was about to be cast literally on Wind on Water, which was Bo Derek's show drama. NBC was going to cast him. I think it was NBC. We had 15 minutes to make a deal. And Marcy Carsey pulled the trigger and said, no, this is the guy. Now, you're supposed to get a consensus, and you're supposed to bring the network in. You're supposed to bring everybody in before you do something like that. We had 15 minutes to decide. Right. So Marcy pulled the trigger and made the deal. NBC said, why would you do that show? You're not funny. And he's like, I am funny. (laughs) You know? And he was. He was brilliant. He was like, it's so rare to see a guy that has all that, um, that not only is good looking, but is really funny. Uh, Mila came in and said, we, uh, somebody in the room said, how old are you? She goes, I'm going to be 18. Well, she was 14. Okay. So, yeah, I'm going to be an 18 in four years. But she was so funny. She read a line like um, that I never would have interpreted like this, and I don't know how she did. She's from Russia, you know. I didn't uh, know that. Yeah, I believe she's from Russia. Her parents are definitely from Russia. Uh, didn't come from, you know, any uh, sort of... Anyway, she, the line in the show was, Michael, you know that I told all your friends about Todd Rundgren's song, Hello, It's Me, okay? Because they were going to see Todd Rundgren in the pilot, which was also kind of amazing that we're going to see Todd Rundgren. Yeah, of course. It's, you know, that's people really don't even know off. who Todd Rundgren no, is anymore. Is. So, so she goes, Michael, you know that I told all your friends about Todd Rundgren's song, Hello, It's Me, like that. 
and normally people would mimic the song or or just give it no cadence i never thought to say it like that and she did and it killed us you know among everything that she read there but she was always like honestly there was no kind of oh gee that's the second choice or anything no everybody there was exactly who we wanted and didn't have bad habits hadn't been in shows as kids uh and so i think that that had a lot to do with why it felt like that topher was uh the turner's daughter's friend from uh, they'd seen him in a high school play the year before he'd been a pa on third rock so i already knew him okay and so it was weird and i thought i'm just gonna not think anything he's just gonna come in and read well it was obvious that he just was uh, spectacular you know and different and not sweaty and and that was what i loved about all of them they just weren't sweaty you know, they were fairly organic in their readings. And then David Trainer, who uh, Terry Hughes did the pilot, but David Trainer did 199 episodes. So David Trainer, this this Broadway director, uh, who was our, he was established in television, but he did all he he basically did the eight years and the uh, continuity of that. You can't underestimate how important that was to them all having somebody that they, I believe, look to to keep things safe and the same for them. Because I left after four years. Okay. Well, now, now, now is Tanya Roberts on when you when you Tanya were was there. Tanya's manager wanted more money. Now, um, but she was a Charlie's Angels. No, she was she a was Beastmaster. Sheena. <laughs> no, she was a Charlie's Angels. Okay. Yeah, she okay. was beautiful. I mean, just stunning. Well, I always thought it was a cool because I guess you're hungry. Oh, yeah, Tanya Rob, You know, any of those people I that were an angel. probably yeah. had a poster of her somewhere. <laughs> but I know I had the Farrah Fawcett one. Oh, everyone. My um, brother had that in our room. Yeah, everybody. Uh, everyone had that. Had that. But, uh, yeah, Tanya was gorgeous. Um, but, you know, again, there were 14 cast members. Nobody could really hold me up. And the kids weren't being paid until, you know, we realized we had to because it was getting so big, you know. But that's kind of how they do things. They don't. Nobody, no network is going to give you money unless they have to. Right. So you yeah. left after the fourth season. Yeah. Why I did, did we just tired or what? what, what I was. I was. I. I had, I had kind of burnt out. You know. I, I thought I didn't have any other stories to tell, and that's when I, I kind of I loved those guys and I was really happy with it. But you know, I was going through a divorce. They, the Fox had asked me to do this other show, eighties. Uh, which, uh, you know, Sandy Grushow really wanted this show because the alternative was they were going to spin off Mila and Laura Prepon to try to do a reboot kind of a thing for Laverne and Shirley. And I knew that without them, 70s would really suffer. And to all of my partners and I, 70s was the bird in the hand. And you don't right. goof around with that. And so backed into a corner, I had to do something because they wanted a companion, and that became 80s. After that experience, I was like, I, I like moved to Ojai and built a horse ranch. Well, what happened with the <laughs> 80s show? Because that's such a great, that's such I great on I literally ground. was not there. Okay. I honestly, I, I think uh, Terry Turner and Linda Wallum and I wrote the pilot, and then Linda Wallum ran it, and I don't know that I ever was at another taping. And so you decided to go. You yeah. leave the business. So you just, I mean, what, what point do you say, I mean, do you, do you just sit there? Now, you've, you, you've had a, 
I mean, it's been a great gradual build. I mean, you know, I mean, you think about it when you, as you said, when you look back at it, you went from, you know, one season and to writing to this, and then you, you know, you create a series, but you come back to Third Rock, and then you hit gold with this series that you never thought would be that big. So you sit there and you just said, I've had enough of it. I just want to get out. I mean, I mean, were you just like, I'm just tired of the business. I'm, 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 I'm out. What happened was that so many networks felt like, oh, reality is going to replace comedy. Not realizing that there's a reason uh, I Love Lucy is still on the air. Comedy will pay the bills forever. Reality has a shelf life of fish. So, but they, they started doing all this reality stuff, and I thought, you know, this would be, the strike happened. I thought, this is a really good time to not live here. And so I, like, uh, Shelly, my wife, we, we built a horse ranch up in Ojai, and I lived there for probably seven years. Now, how did you choose Ojai? I mean, it's so beautiful. I, my friend of mine is, uh, is a musician up there. His name is Bernie Larson. He's uh he just moved up. He moved there about four years ago. He's, he used to be a session musician. He used to play with Jackson Brown and Melissa Etheridge, and he's up there now. And I think he opened a little furniture store. And uh, so you just you just decided. I mean, did you scout out different areas and you said this is the one? Or I mean, how did you do when you said you're you're leaving the business and you're going to pick? And how did you pick horses? Are you are you? Are, are, did well, you... Shelly, my wife, has competed since she was a kid in okay. horses, so she always had horses, and. Uh, and her and I have been married, I think it's, no, it's 10 years, November 5th. And uh, so we just, I really thought, gosh, this is going to be, I thought it was going to be fun, which it was. But How it was many horses also, did you get? Oh, we had probably 35 horses. And it's 100 acres about? 100 acres. Now, how and, do you, how do you and even... we put a barn down and we built a house. Nobody had ever lived on this 100 acre. How do you, I mean, it's so, it's just, I mean... How do you look after? I mean, I can't. I had a problem mowing our lawn when I was a kid. Like we would sit there, and my dad was very, like you know. After a while, he's like, ah, you know, yeah, I'll mow it. And of course, I can mow the neighbor's yard to get paid, but we didn't mow the lawn right. And, but a big lawn, we'd be sitting there in the heat. You need a really, you need it, really big lawn mower. Yeah, <laughs> you need a lot more time. Because I mowed it myself. Like in the beginning, I had a John Deere tractor, and I, I. I, you know, you put on some sunscreen, man, because you're just going to be Forever. doing it. Yeah. And you had to do it because there's fire hazard. You know, even though I had uh, four or 5,000 gallon water tanks that belonged to the property that came with a well, um, you know, you have to cut brush, you know. I mean, you, and a, lot, a huge amount of your life is spent, you know, feeding livestock and cutting brush, you know. Now, how do you figure out... What kind of house you want? Because you're sitting there, you're going on this vest thing. Now, you grew up in Buffalo. I mean, I'm sure was, you grew up in the suburbs. Did, did you say we're making a farmhouse? Or Because my brother, as I was talking to Kathy the first hour, my brother, he lives in Manhattan with my niece, and, at, and his wife has passed. But they own out a big, they own like 20 acres up near uh, Woodstock. And, oh, Kath, yeah. and he like he's in the city. The Saugerties, that's what yeah, she was talking He's about. in the city, and then he'll just, you know, he has his chickens that he kills and she's like what you killed he's like he learned it he learned that it's easier to just break their neck because if you cut their neck they bleed everywhere yeah. like if you cut their head off and it's just and they but, run around too, yeah so. exactly he said it's a pain in the ass he goes he goes that's not a lie he goes it really happens so when you're building a house do you say we're gonna do a farmhouse did you look at other pictures or how did you decide the house you're gonna build well you know the funny thing is shelly and i had already redone 
uh, probably four houses by the time we were moving up there because I would buy and sell houses. I bought Gwen Stefani's house in Los Feliz. And everything we bought was from the, uh, you know, 1910, 1920 Spanish era. And we would bring them back to, if they had been changed, we would bring them back to what they looked like at the original period. Okay. You know, and that was a lot of work. That's going on eBay, finding a light in, in Philadelphia at, a, at somebody's sh- shop that is, you know, matches that right. period, you know, and we spent a lot of time doing that. But then, you know, you make money on houses if you do them right, you know. Uh, Toluca Lake was really where I spent a lot of time, you know, rebuilding, refurbishing and taking houses back to what they had originally been. <laughs> so we knew we wanted a Spanish house up there. You know, and uh, and so that's what we sort of built. We we built a three-bedroom Spanish sort of house. We kind of you you know the house is actually like in two pieces. We didn't okay. build the thing. We but we made it. You know this Spanish house, a big, and then we painted it red so you could see it from you know from down right it was at the top of this hill on 100 acres it was pretty amazing you know now what what how do you figure what livestock you're going to have well we knew that we wanted to have cows you know and so uh you already have horses i had i had three goats i had baby goats where do you buy it honestly where do oh, you, there is like, everything up there oh is a very uh farm town so if you, you say know? i'm gonna go get a cow you can just like go down well, no, you go to a you go to uh um 4-h you know okay. you go to the you go to the fair the ventura county fair okay. and they the kids who have been really taking care of these cows and every kind of animal sheep and everything else they've been taking care of them for a year raised them from you know when they were born and uh you know that's you can get them at an auction or you could just go you know i know roger bias is a guy i know out in bakersfield he has uh he had four 500 cows because that's the thing about cow horses and and reining horses is uh well not reining but cutting horses and cow horses you have to have cows and you have to have cows that you can pen and and run down the fence and uh you know there's these sports where they're dependent on the cow okay you know and uh it's like a whole subculture that exists in america that isn't it's just another niche thing. So you're you doing know? this. You're doing this for seven years. You got the horses. You got the cows. You're you're living the farm life, and yeah. then then now did, does it start getting boring or what? Brought well, you back it definitely to LA? it definitely was getting boring. I I and I can remember I had a. Mm, and had you had any touch with the business m- at all during this and everything? I probably business? had taken meetings and still talked to some people. I think I w- I was still represented by CAA, but um, and I I. Uh, Ross Van Oker was another writer who lived up there. He and I would go pitch something every now and then. Now he's in Canada directing a movie that he wrote, an animated movie, and is very successful. And uh, the Farrellys lived up there. I never saw him, but you know, you could drive down and take a meeting. You weren't that far away. But uh, I think what what really happened was uh, Chris Peterson and Brian Moore were gonna were creating this show for Disney. It was a greenlit show. They said, "Would you help us do this show?" And that show uh, evolved into Lab Rats, which is a, it's the number one show on Disney XD. And I, I don't know how, you know, it, uh, I can remember there was this moment where this, this cult that we had bred, who I really loved, 
died. And uh, it's kind of shocking to have an animal that big and beautiful die. Right. And there was another horse, uh, same thing at Collect, and I'm walking it up and down the road in hot sun, trying, you know, we'd, we'd injected, uh, the vet had injected oil into it, and I'm walking it up and down the road in the hot sun, lays down and dies. I'm holding its head, keeping the sun off of it. And this is just shocking for right. me. You know, because I'm like, it's a thousand pound animal. It's beautiful. It's three years old. It's got such a future. Right. And so uh, at some point I said to Shelly, I go, I'm not going to be unhappy going back. I got to tell you, you know, um, it was, and it was difficult. It was my, my daughter had lived with me there and she loved the country life. But then as it became more apparent that we were leaving, I had her come back because I didn't want to put her through the changes that were coming in. Um, and so once, you know, Shelly and I had made the decision, we're going back to Los Angeles. Uh, and writing on the show with Chris and Brian has given me an appreciation for the joy of being in a room with really funny people being funny all day. A new appreciation for it um, that was lacking for a long time. Because it's really, that's what it's about. It's about having a really good time with people you love and respect. That's about as good as it's going to get in the writing you know, game. And so now you're working on Lab Rats still? Yeah. They've got, they actually picked it up for a fourth year, which they never do. Yeah, isn't it Disney like weird? Like Disney's some of shows... three years and out. Okay. Um, and this one, but it's their number one show. So, which I was, I was really concerned that if I did come back and do something, if it wasn't the very if it wasn't number one at wherever I wound up, I would be pissed. Right. You know, because I just, I wanted to do something that, that hit, you know, and in whatever world you're in, because now the, the world is so fractionalized, you know, the television, uh, they don't, they do, most people do 12 a year. Right. You know, we, we were doing 26, 70s a year. So that's, that's that changed so much. It's like now, like we'll watch TV and you know, like you watch Ray Donovan and all of a sudden it's like, okay, in two weeks, the season's over. You're like, what? Like, I know. It's, it's like, wait a second. I just started getting into this. And, and then it's like we were watching Boardwalk Empire. And we're yeah. like, what season is this? What, what episode this is, is this? This is it. I know. But we're thinking, okay, this is like the fifth or sixth. It's going to be done. And like Newsroom, which I loved, would be eight episodes. And it's now it's the last season. They've done like three. They're starting in last season in, in November. But it's been on for like three seasons. And I remember when you were when I was a kid, yeah, shows were like, you know, Every night until the summer, then they did summer reruns, and you would watch right. All in the Family, the Jeffersons, and you'd sit there. And now it's like you get into a show, and all of a sudden you blink, and it's gone. Yeah, I know. I, it's kind of sad. Now, how you many know? shows? How many episodes did they do with Lab Rats? That's what's great about um, Disney, and even like TV Land, and a lot of these places that are actually doing. Uh, to me, they're doing sitcoms, and they're doing full orders we did 25 of those last year and um, where else are you going to do 25 it's hard right. to, you know if you're not chuck lorry it's really hard to get um 25 episodes of anything um and i have a project with jason lee now that uh i uh, it's a tbs and tbs another network that it's a great you know uh they have vision they have 
but I don't know how many episodes they'll even do. Well, you know what's weird about like TBS and TNT because my girlfriend watches some of the dramas on TNT. Yeah. What they do is they'll they'll do the season, but they do like a summer season and a winter season. So you get a bunch of episodes compared to now when it's like you get twelve episodes, you don't see it for a year. Yeah, that's why I couldn't imagine how uh, Arrested Development. I didn't know how there was enough time in the day to follow that many characters with a single camera. Right, and I. I remember uh, Mitch Hurwitz, I talked to him one time, and he said, oh, it was brutal. You know, so that's why I kind of love, I love the form, the the four camera, the multi-cam form, because you can actually do 25 a year. Right. Whereas with a single cam, it's brutal. It's day and night shooting. We have, we have a few minutes left. Um, the Jason Lee show, now is that coming out, or what's up with that? Um, it's, uh, right now it's a pilot, and it's actually a script. And Jason and I and Luke Watson are all um, producing it. And, uh, you know, it it's, uh, remains to be written. And, and it remains to, well, you know, it's in development. So, but I, I really like it. And I, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah, well, I was going to say, because you created that 70s show. And then when you go to Lab Rats, you're not the creator, you're writing it. Now, this show you created is, do you feel, is there a different feel when you're just yeah you know, well, coming on and then you're actually the one you're the haunch like when it's your idea there must be a big different feel for you yeah it's way different um you know when you didn't create the show and you're not the showrunner, you you do you help as best you can but uh ultimately you're you have to put that voice in a box right and do what the showrunner wants um but you know with jason I would definitely be the showrunner on Jason and Luke's thing. And, uh, you know, so, yeah, it's it's going to be a lot. I actually really would rather run a show because then you're the you're responsible. You're the end of the line You're And I want to be I want to be responsible. for how, Whatever happens on it. Well, how'd you meet Jason? Jason and I met because uh, Jace, uh Luke and. I believe uh, Luke and Danny Masterson are friends. Okay. And Danny, uh, and I met Luke Watson a long time ago. And Luke was uh, friends with Ashton and Mila. And so it just kind of happened that way where Luke was like, you know, I, I bet if you look at that 70s show and you look at My Name is Earl, I won't say they're that far apart. Okay. So uh, I would I would bet on that I would bet on on Jason Lee and and this team. Cool, you know. Well, I want to thank you for coming out. Well, thanks for having me. And he this said you don't fun. do a lot of interviews, and I said, all right, but no, I'm I glad don't. you came out because you you have stories. And, and anyone who's a an East Coast sports fan, you know, that's one thing. Everyone says, well, what if you don't have anything to talk? I said, well, if they have sports, we we'll just talk about damn sports. I remember Thurman Thomas. I remember when OJ played behind Reggie McKenzie. I know that. So I want to thank you, Mark, for coming out. And uh, people, yes, yeah, so yeah, so uh, check out Lab Rats and keep watching that '70s show. Uh, also, people, follow me on Twitter at Cooper Talk. You can follow me there. Uh, send me an email. Cooper at coopertalk.net. Uh, this week I'll be putting my 300th episode up on coopertalk.net. It'll be uh, the one Mark Boone Jr. from the Sons of Anarchy. He plays Bobby Munson. He was just on. That'll be going up. Also, if you go to Stitcher 
or iTunes Radio. Type in one word, Cooper Talk. You find all my episodes up there. Still waiting for iHeartRadio. It's supposed to start any day. That will just be more uh, recent episodes. You can check it out. And yeah, and also uh, every Tuesday, uh, Crappy Comedy at Jimmy's Place on San Fernando. I host that. It's a quick hour show from 9 to 10. You come in. I get some of my good friends doing some comedy. There's never really a crowd, but we have fun. So keep listening. Send me an email. Follow me at Cooper Talk. I always try to tweet funny stuffs. Remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins. You guys have a safe and sound weekend, and I'll talk to you next week.